0: This is Novel Marketing, the show that gives you innovative ideas on how to sell more books with your host, agent, author, and marketing maven, Thomas Umstead, Jr., and best-selling award-winning author and marketing guru, James L. Rubart. Episode
1: 192. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about 10 advertising terms that you need to know. You might... Uh, recall we started this series with episode 179 and essentially Thomas and I realized we get caught in a mistake that a lot of people do who have been in an industry for a long time. We start talking in this language that we only we understand and so we throw these terms out and these references and we've realized a lot of you guys go "Uh, not exactly sure what that thing is and so what we're doing is a series of episodes that take common terms or even terms that are not that common, explain them real quickly. And so in future episodes or even when you go back and listen to previous episodes, if you're a new listener to the listener to the podcast, it's going to make a lot more sense. So um, today we're going to talk about 10, advertising-specific terms. In the future, we'll do one on website terms and newsletter terms, on branding terms, graphic design terms, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll be able to understand all facets of marketing when you're talking to agents and editors and subcontractors. So I guess in to sum it all up, you'll be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. So like last time, we'll tell you the term, then briefly describe it, and if it needs more explanation, we would love you to email us or go to the Novel Marketing podcast group and say, I'm not exactly sure what that term is. Even after listening to you guys, could you expand on it? So that's the format we're going to take.
0: Yeah, let's jump in. And the first term I think we need to define, This almost like a bonus term, is advertising. Because I hear a lot of authors misuse the term advertising or they use it interchangeably with marketing. That's good. So, marketing you could say is all of your promotion efforts, and it includes public relations, it includes branding, it includes advertising. It is the whole pig, whereas advertise is just a, advertising is just a piece of that it's the ham so while all ham is pork, not all pork is ham, and specifically <laughs> a- advertising is what you spend money on, so if you're spending money on it it's much more likely to be advertising. There's not really any such thing as free advertising. You've got to pay for it somehow. And another way to think of advertising is it is marketing on somebody else's platform. So you're paying to borrow somebody else's platform. So the classic example of a television ad, the television station has a platform and you are paying to get access to their audience that they have built over the last many years.
1: Yeah, it's like in radio, you are renting that uh, audience's ears for a short period of time. Exactly. So with that, let's talk about our first term, traditional media. Jim, what is traditional media? So when you hear the term traditional media, what people are talking about is those staid and true advertising vehicles, radio TV, newspapers, magazines, billboard ads, direct mail, really the advertising vehicles that a lot of the baby boomers, all of the baby boomers grew up on. We definitely have something that has changed significantly in the last 20 years or so, and that's our second term, which is digital media. Thomas? Yeah, you know, so digital media is what
0: is new. Uh, internet, smartphones, Pandora, advertising on Spotify, advertising on YouTube, advertising on Facebook, advertising on Amazon. So there are lots of places in the digital world to advertise. And most of them are some form of the internet. And you may think, oh, well, it's, you know, digital media is high tech and traditional media is low tech. But believe it or not, um, traditional media is also getting high tech. Direct mail has gotten very sophisticated. Billboards are getting smarter. Magazines are getting more targeted. Uh, Radio is getting smarter. TVs getting smarter. Newspapers also exist online where they're getting smarter. I don't think the paper (laughs) versions are getting um, smarter. Uh, But the uh, digital tools, the revolution that we've had over the last 20 years of using the internet and the advantages of the internet getting big data and micro-targeting where you're not advertising to everyone with the newspaper, you're only advertising to people who are in a specific area or interested in a certain thing, uh, are really changing advertising. So for some comparison, If I buy a newspaper ad on page two of the newspaper, it goes to everyone who buys that newspaper. And it's very expensive. And if I'm selling a book, it means it's going to everyone whether or not they're a fan of that genre of book or not. Whereas uh, with digital media, you can buy ads that target people based off various big data, if you connect to it correctly, where it's only appearing to people who are the kind of person that you're wanting to reach. So the ad doesn't appear for everyone. So when you're on a web page you don't see the same ads as the next person going to that same web page. And that's big data. It's privacy concerns. All of that is kind of wrapped up in digital media. Whereas with traditional media, uh, your consumption of that is much more private. Uh, Although not as much as you might think. Billboards (laughs) actually track people's smartphones. Like your different apps you have on your uh, smartphone will report back to billboard companies to tell you if you drove past that billboard and if you counted as an impression. So even traditional media is getting a lot smarter.
1: They are indeed. And I I guess it's it's interesting Thomas because in one way big brother has become <laughs> ubiquitous in our lives. On the other hand for a marketing guy and for authors that want to effectively promote their books It's a double edged sword because you're going, wow, they are media and digital has become so intrusive in our lives and they have all this information, which is really scary. On the other hand, now we can access that information like never before and we can, instead of a shotgun blast, we are able to use a rifle now and that can be helpful if used appropriately.
0: All right, let's talk about the third t- term,
1: reach. Jim, what is reach? So reach, you'll, you'll, you'll hear this term, What what's your reach? And essentially, that's simply saying the total number of eyeballs on your content, the total number of ears that hear your ad. So radio uses this term, they call it cume. What's your cume of your radio station? And they use that on a weekly basis. What's your weekly cume, which means your cumulative audience. How many different people, listen to your station on a weekly basis, and it might be 700,000 people or it might be 1.2 million. So that's everyone in the audience. Um, So how does that apply to us? We have to ask the question, what is our reach as an author on a weekly or a monthly basis? And this can be easily figured out with Google Analytics. For example, I might say, what's your reach? How many people do you reach on your website on a monthly basis, how many people do you reach with your Facebook posts on a weekly or a monthly basis? And w- Facebook will send you this information. they say, "All right, on this week, Jim, your page was up or it was down. This is the number of people engaged, et etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. This becomes very valuable if we can look at that data and say, all right, I go back and I look at these posts, what did these posts produce in terms of a weekly QM? How many people engaged? And then we can use that as feedback of, oh, this is really resonating with people. This isn't resonating with people. Now, reach can also be, some people will use the term impressions. So say, for example, you do an AMS ad, Amazon will send you, this is how many impressions you got. This is how many people saw your ad. It's not how many people clicked on it. It's how many people saw your ad. So those terms are sometimes used interchangeably.
0: Or to be technical, it was on a page that was loaded that somebody was looking at. It doesn't necessarily mean they looked at
1: your spot on the page. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah,
0: it's a very technical term in the sense that th- they had the opportunity to look
1: at it. Yeah, that's, a, that's an important clarification because it doesn't mean they saw it. It means they had the chance to see it. Good point. Right. Especially if it's way down the page, depending on what
0: tool they're using, uh, even if they don't scroll past it, it might count as an impression. Not always. So like on Facebook, an impression means it was on the page that they actually looked at. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's all is a part of reach. And so where this is most valuable is for like brand advertising, you're just trying to get your name out to people. Uh, most advertising that authors do is product advertising, where you're trying to sell more of a specific product than you spent In money where that specific ad pays for itself, which is different than, say, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is not like asking the question, how many cans of Coke will this uh, TV commercial sell? They're trying to promote their brand more broadly. Now, which is a, a like a fundamental philosophical difference in how advertising is approached, whether it's brand advertising or product advertising. Uh, now, our next two terms dig a little bit deeper when it comes to reach. We have number four, paid reach, and number five, organic reach. Jim, what's paid reach? Oh, you take this one away, Thomas. I want to hear uh, your thoughts on it. <laughs> okay. So you put me on the spot. Uh, paid <laughs> reach are the people that you are paying to reach as opposed to organic reach is uh, often the spillover effect. So for instance, on Facebook, uh, you'll say you pay for your ad to reach a thousand people. That's your paid reach. But some of those thousand people liked it some of them shared it with other people because it really resonated with them and you don't pay for that share so if, if Joe Smith shares your post with his friends and they see it because he shared it that's organic reach that's effectively free or it's like a bonus mm-hmm and you can, another way to think of it is it's a reward for creating the kind of content people enjoy engaging with. So if your ad is boring, people just want to scroll past your organic reach is going to be uh, very low. Uh, whereas if your ad is interesting or entertaining, your reach is going to be very high. A good uh, way to think of this is a movie trailer. Uh, so. Movie companies pay money to put movie trailers in front of movie goers, but it may be that you're really excited about the next Marvel movie and you copy the URL of the trailer that just dropped and you send it to your best friend who's also a good Marvel fan and you watch it together, right? That is an example of organic reach. They paid to reach the first person, they got the second person for free.
1: It's interesting in the digital age, going back to traditional media, if I see a newspaper uh, ad that I really like, I can't easily forward that to Thomas. Or if I hear an ad on the radio, I can't easily forward that. And that can be the power of digital media. Because if I see it online and I love the trailer, I'm sending it to Thomas. Thomas, you got to take a look at this.
0: That's right. Although I will say, my grandmother is a faithful newspaper reader. She reads the whole newspaper every morning. Really? And she will wow. clip coupons. Uh, for her family if it's for a business that she thinks um, they would be interested in. And she also clips articles. So every time I go visit her, she's got a stack of clippings from the newspaper for various family members. And sometimes she'll dig through the stack and she'll give me something from the stack that she's curated in just a deliciously old school uh, way. But I, I will say that is uncommon the start of viral (laughs) yeah that that is not uh not as common as it used to be uh now one more term related to this reach is cpm and i really don't like this acronym because i feel like it breaks the fundamental rule of acronyms which is that each letter is supposed (laughs) to stand for a word (laughs) But it does it does kind of it does but you but have it to explain
1: doesn't. it to people,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you always have to explain it to people, uh and so c p stands for cost per, and so you're thinking, oh, it's cost per million, right, because it's m for million, but no, it's the Roman numeral m which is 1,000. I don't know how this became the industry standard, but it is the industry standard. They use it on TV, they use it on radio, they use it on Facebook. Almost all per-impression-based advertising or per-reach-based advertising is priced in CPM or cost per 1,000. And with uh, Facebook advertising, for instance, you have a choice to pay for your ads based off of CPM, so cost per thousand people who see it, or CPC, which is cost per click. Uh, and you, you'll pay more for a cost per click, uh, you know, per click, right? Because a click is much more valuable than a thousand impressions, potentially. Uh, but those are the, like, the two models online, uh, whereas when it comes to radio and TV and traditional media I think it's all based on a CPM model. Um, even billboards, will uh, when you're like renting a billboard, it will have an estimate of the number of uh, impressions that billboard will get. It, it's a little bit less specific um, with the billboard, but it's still often priced in that CPM way. So now when you see the term CPM, you know it's not cost per million. And if you've been buying ads thinking that that's how much it costs to reach a million people, I hate to
1: break it to you, but you've been reaching far fewer people than you thought. <laughs> And here's another bonus term. So cost per thousand, the other thing that is used in advertising is CPP, cost per point. And what a point is, is it's a rating. So if you have 1.0, so you'd have a one rating you'd have that much of, say, the television audience that is that is watching during a particular show. So a Super Bowl, obviously, is going to have massive points associated with it. It might have 39 points during a viewing of a Super Bowl. And so that point could be, a percentage of the entire population of a DMA, a designated marketing area. So say it's the Seattle area and we've got 39 points means 39% of the people are watching the Super Bowl, which is actually a huge number. And so you're paying per point. Um, so that that's the other way of looking at cost of advertising. Those are, those are the two cost per thousand and cost per point.
0: All right, our sponsor today is the Five-Year Plan for Becoming a Best-Selling Author. This is our popular course that takes you through the first five years of your career. So if you are not yet a best-selling author, if you are not where you want to go yet, this is a course that will take you step-by-step through the process from the very beginning. You get access to the whole course right away. So if you are already two years into your career, you have access to your three Right away. But here is our promise. If you start at year one and do everything that we recommend and you don't get to where you want to be at the end of the five years, we will refund your money. That's how confident we are that it works. If you're willing to do the work to make it work. Thomas, you sound like you're saying this is hard work. Or you're implying that. It is? It is. It's, <laughs> it is hard work. Uh, we we walk you through it, of what you need to do. We're your guide on how to climb Mount Everest, but you still have to actually climb Mount Everest. Uh, and you can find out more at novelmarketing.com forward slash courses.
1: All right, Thomas, our next term is frequency. Um, what is frequency, Thomas?
0: So frequency is how often somebody uh, sees your ad. And this is typically a term used in traditional media uh, in the sense of like how frequently the ad plays or how frequently uh, somebody hears it. There is a bias uh, in traditional advertising for really high frequency on a really low number of content pieces where they'll get the same commercial and they play it over and over again. And the joke is you don't do it until your neighbor complains. You don't do it until your, uh, you know, coworkers complain about the ad. You keep buying the ad until your accountant complains about the ad. Uh, (laughs) I, I personally am less a fan of that approach of just like, Drowning people in frequency of ads. I think the most effective ads are ads that people enjoy. And once people stop enjoying an advertisement, you need to move on to the next advertisement. And I think a company that does as well as Geico, you never get tired of a specific Geico ad because they're constantly doing new and different ads. And that causes you to have a higher opinion of the company than you would otherwise. Um,
1: Jim, what are some of your thoughts on frequency? Well, frequency, on one hand, um, I worked for an ad agency over a period of time that we just absolutely dominated the airways where people hated hearing the commercials. And yet sales were always through the roof because they were the first company that came top of mind. Um, In retrospect, I would say what, what we didn't do or what the ad agency that I work for didn't do was have that variety of ads The reality is there are many facets to a company and there are many ways to approach advertising. There's many ways to do creative. And if you do it like that, and I think Geico is a good example, you know, it's always going to be quirky and weird and fun. And they do enough variety that you don't get sick of it, even with a very heavy frequency that they use. So it goes back to surprise me, delight me, don't bore me, don't make me tune you out or get irritated. So I guess it's a combination of the two that I favor but as as it applies to us we have this idea that we're going to put one ad out there and and that's it it's done and it's just not the way the human mind works um in traditional advertising the old adage is hit a frequency of three say on a weekly basis so if you're buying a tv program that viewer has to see your commercial three times number one is oh I'm aware of you number two is conviction that's a book I should buy Number three is action. I take action. The reality is it's closer to seven interactions. That doesn't necessarily mean seven ads. So if Thomas is selling a book and somebody sees um, an article that Thomas wrote, and then their friend Jim says, oh, have you read this book, Courtship in Crisis? And then there's a television ad. Let's just say, Thomas, you have the money for a television ad," ad, which I wouldn't recommend doing for a book anyway. But after seven interactions, that's when the person is ready to purchase. And so consequently, Frequency becomes uh, an important part of your advertising campaign, especially when you have a book launching, for example, and Thomas has talked about this before. When you have that book launching, one email that says, hey, my book's ready to go, it's just not going to cut it, especially when you have open rates. You look at your open rates and you go, wow, my open rate is not that high, which means a great number of people on your list are not going to even see that first quote ad, which is your newsletter, which is your email saying the book's ready to go. So frequency becomes something that you need to consider and think about and pay attention to as you're putting your campaigns together.
0: Yeah. Coca-Cola recently launched a new um, Coke and it may be, that Austin is in a test market for it, or maybe they've launched it nationally. I'm not sure, but it's orange vanilla Coke. And we, my wife and I were driving down the road. We see it on a billboard and we're like, oh, huh, that's interesting. We see it two or three more times. we are like, oh, we should try that. And then we see a couple commercials for it. And finally, after, I think it was right about seven ads, we were curious enough what orange vanilla Coke tastes like. So we'd tried vanilla Coke before, but what is it, orange vanilla Coke that we got? You know, we bought it and at the store, and we tried it, and we'll probably never buy it again, right? <laughs> it's way too sweet. But I mean, they successfully got us to try uh, their product at one time, uh, and and this is actually an important principle when it comes to advertising. You still have to have a good product. Like if people don't enjoy <laughs> right. your flavor of Coke, you know, you do all this work. They reached us seven times to buy twelve cokes <laughs> 12 pack that that's the, then the end we're never going to buy you know orange vanilla coke again because we didn't like it better than regular coke and it has more calories than regular like, it just didn't it didn't check the boxes um but uh, frequency is also important because of this psychological effect called the spotlight effect and we've talked about this on the show previously but when you walk into a room most people are thinking about what other people are thinking about them and the reality is is that no one is thinking about you as much especially as much as you think they are they 're all thinking about themselves, and so an author's like, "Oh well, gosh, I only need to send one email out about my book or just buy one week 's worth of ads on Amazon or on Facebook." And that will be enough. And as soon as people see the ad one time, they'll be like this is the book I've been looking for my entire life and I'm going to go out and buy it. And the reality is, is that no one loves you that much other than your <laughs> friends and family. And if you want to reach people beyond your friends and family, you're going to have to find a way of getting that frequency higher. And uh, that's why frequency is something to manage. Uh, so you can't just tell people about your book one time. And a great way of getting your frequency up is our eighth term, which is retargeting or sometimes called remarketing. Uh, so these, these two, this is a kind of a newer concept. And so it has, um, still rival terms, (laughs) I would say. And, And there may be some nuance between these terms, but if there is, I'm not familiar with it. And retargeting is very effective but it also creeps people out. So have you ever (laughs) gone to Amazon and did a search for, let's say, a big screen TV, and then you went to Facebook, and five minutes later, you see an Amazon ad for a big screen TV. And you're like, how did (laughs) they know? (laughs) So so this used to be kind of new. Now it's pervasive. And the reality is, is that You're seeing a relevant ad, right? It's an ad for a product that you are interested in uh, because you showed interest by visiting the website and doing a search uh, for that thing. And retargeting ads are incredibly effective. For the dollar, they're often the most effective ads that you can buy, uh, but you can only spend money on retargeting If you are tracking people somehow, and this is why bringing people to your own website is really important because you have to, uh, they call it a tracking pixel for Facebook, although that's kind of a bogus term because it's not a pixel, but that's their marketing term for it. It actually used to be a one pixel sized GIF in the olden days, so the term's not totally messed up, Uh, but you also can track people into a custom audience with uh, Google, uh, where you see ads on like blogs and things like that. and. So they visit your website, it, hit, it cookies that person. And then as that person browses the web for the next 30 days, you can follow them with your ads. And um, it's up to you whether this is a practice you feel comfortable with, uh, but it's a really great way of having your frequency be really high where they just see your book everywhere without you having to pay very much money because your CPM, your cost per thousand on a retargeting ad, is going to be really low because maybe you only had a thousand people visit your website total in the last month. And so that's one. <laughs> See, the, the In terms of how many thousand, it's like only one. So even if you're paying $20 CPM, uh, you're spending $20 a month on retargeting, which is not very much money on advertising. All right. Our
1: ninth term
0: is automation. Jim?
1: Yeah, automation. You, you've probably heard this. Are are your campaigns automated? Do you automate most of your marketing? And you say, what, what exactly does that mean? And real simply, it's any system that places your ads for you. For example, if you've set up AMS ads, you don't have to place an ad every time you will bid on a particular keyword and you'll say, all right, I'm willing to spend 35 cents um, for that keyword. And Amazon does that for you. Um, Your newsletter, uh, I guess in a sense, that's could be paid advertising. If you're Say on Mailchimp, and you're over 2,000 people, you are paying for that, but but it it works. Even though that's not really pure advertising, it works as an example where you've set up an autoresponder. So anytime somebody say, signs up for your email list, they'll get say a sequence of five campaigns. And we've talked about this in the past, an onboarding sequence. So it's anything that simply anything that's automated um, for you that you set in motion, and you might check once a month or even once a quarter, depending on um, how much you like to get into the analytics of things. Um, yeah, it's just, it works uh, in the background for you once you set it in motion. Thomas, any other thoughts on that? Um, people are
0: afraid of automation and they often want to check their AMS ads all the time. I feel like that's often a waste of time. People, I, I in my personal opinion, people are checking AMS too frequently uh, for their time. They should be spending that time writing more books. It doesn't mean you don't check it at all, but you, if you set it up correctly, the automation can run on its own, and you don't have to babysit it. I check my AMS ads maybe once a month, maybe not, because um, it. When I do go in and check it, I the last several times, I've made zero changes. And so it just runs. I sell a certain number of books every month, and I'm happy with the results that I'm getting, so I'm not fiddling with it. Um, so w- if you set up automation correctly, it can be a huge time saver. If you sign up for the Novel Marketing uh, newsletter on novelmarketing.com, you get some treats, like we send emails out with bonus info uh, that help You know, really practical stuff on how to sell more books. And those emails that trickle out or that drip out, it's all automated. We set that up last year year before, and it's been running seamlessly ever since. So it's what allows us to spend time doing other things. Automation is really good.
1: (laughs) Doing the podcast (laughs) instead of writing email.
0: Yeah, (laughs) recording the podcast, getting guests, all that. All right, we're almost out of time, but our 10th term is B2B and B2C. Jim, what is B2B
1: and B2C? So pretty simple. B2B is business to business advertising. So a business selling to another business. B2C is a business advertising to a consumer. So a B2B would be selling to a bookstore. B2C would be selling to a reader. So if you're trying to get your books into an independent bookstore, that's a B2B sale. If you're trying to get it to a reader, that's a B2C business to To consumer sale. So when you hear that term bantied about, that's all it is. It's just two different targets. And as um, authors, you have a number of different B2C clients and you have a number of different B2B clients. Thomas?
0: Yeah, so this affects uh, where you are buying your ads. This it, is one of the questions you want to ask is, is this a B2B play or a B2C play? So, for instance, if you're buying an ad in Publishers Weekly, you know who doesn't read Publishers Weekly? Readers. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> some readers read Publishers Weekly, but it doesn't justify the cost, right? Ads in Publishers Weekly are incredibly expensive. And, uh, you know, being reviewed in Publishers Weekly is incredibly um sought after and, and people are very excited to be reviewed in publishers weekly. Why? Because you know who does read publishers weekly? Librarians and bookstore owners, (laughs) which is, (laughs) if you are an author, very valuable. So sure, maybe there's only 2000 bookstore owners, uh, in your niche total. It's not a lot of people, but if all 2,000 of those people are like, you know what, I want to get this author's book on my shelf, and suddenly those 2,000 people could be helping you send sell tens of thousands of books, especially if they're hand-selling the books, especially with independent bookstores. Uh, People will come to the staff in the store, and sometimes it's the owner, right? If it's a mom-and-pop operation, and say, hey, you know, what's a good book? I'm looking for such-and-such. And And that person will personally make a recommendation. There's a very popular uh, independent bookstore in Austin, Texas, that uh, for years has handwritten recommendations under the books uh, by the staff of the bookstore, and they're like, and so when they have a book on the shelf that's been read by somebody in that uh, bookstore, there's a good chance by some one of the staff, and they are recommending that book, and you know, getting one of those people, uh, book people in Austin, Texas, to read your book, can have a huge impact on sales in Austin, Texas, because it's you know they're you know arguably as big as some of the Barnes and Nobles in town, it's a very big, popular, uh, independent bookstore downtown Austin. Uh, they're also the bookstore in the airport in Austin. So Austin has only local businesses in the airport. So there's no Starbucks, there's no McDonald's. It's 100% local. So the bookstores are run by book people. So this little independent bookstore that you may not think is a big deal, like all of the influential people that fly out of Austin or into Austin for an event like South by Southwest are all walking by a book people. And so these handful of you know, minimum wage book lovers that are writing these handwritten book reviews, you know their opinions are actually incredibly valuable. And that's why B2B can be important. And a lot of indies often don't think about B2B as a part of their overall strategy to their loss, because there's a lot of money that could be made through that way. And sure, having customers come into a bookstore and requesting a book is a way of getting the book onto the shelf. Uh, And so B2C is also a valuable strategy, but it's one of those things you just want to think about. And as you put together your overall strategy, uh, you may want to have a mix of B2B and B2C. Some indie authors are very happy just doing B2C, and they only sell through Amazon. And they make lots of money that way. And so there's not one strategy. So one of the differences with novel marketing, we don't say there's only one way to, there's only one road to success. <laughs> there, are, there are many roads to success. There's far more roads to failure, but there are many roads to success. Uh, and our goal with these definition episodes is kind of help you understand kind of more broadly what's going on in the market so that you can make more informed decisions. All right. Speaking of informed people, let's talk about our patrons who are uh, the love most good looking, <laughs> uh, savviest, most fun to talk to people in the whole world uh, because they help keep the novel marketing podcast on the air. And our featured patron this week is
1: Kate. Kate. Harvey. And Kate has written a book called Believe It and Behave It, How to Restart, Reset, and Reframe Your Life. Okay, I'm, I'm already sold. <laughs> I love that. So if you're suffering through anger, self-doubt, and failure, and doing it in quiet desperation, this is your book. You'll discover how to conquer every kind of adversity and take back your life. And you can pick up a copy of Kate's book on Amazon, and we will have a link also in the show notes. And I guess, Thomas, we have to say thank you uh, to our patrons that help keep us on the air. I know we're not on the air, but in a sense, we're on the air. That's my background radio. So I think of on the air, help us continue to do this show. And if you'd like to explore that, you can go to novelmarketing.com. You'll see a little button along the top there that says Patreon, and you can get all the details on how you can support us as well. We give a lot of extras to our patrons, uh, patrons, discounts. Um, we do an exclusive Q and a episode, um, just lots of, lots of fun stuff. Yeah. And,
0: and again, thank you all so much for keeping us on the air. We really appreciate it. And we are going to go back to doing Q and a, uh, episodes, answering your questions and potentially even doing them live. So if you want a live uh, patrons, only Q and a episode, go and become a patron now. So you get the notifications once those happen quick announcement next week if you want to learn more about advertising we have a special interview with chris fox that is an episode you will not want to miss and then later this month on june 25th we're hosting an exclusive webinar with chris fox Uh, chris and i will be talking about advertising for authors who hate math you can register for free we'll have a link in the show notes and we'll have more information to come but i just wanted to give you a quick heads up about that webinar i hope to see you there
1: so jim uh what 's new in your world um, well i <laughs> i I won another writing award, which was really cool <laughs> i uh, <laughs> yeah, I so my first writing conference, some of you know my story that I went to my first writing conference in two thousand and six to the Mount Herman Writing Conference, and this year. And, and, and I was so, you know, I, I knew nothing about writing and somebody told me, I asked him, well, what classes are you taking? Oh, I'm taking the pro track. And I thought someday, someday I might be able to make it into the pro track. Cause you had to have two books published to do that. And on this return, uh, last month I taught the pro track. So it was a full circle experience. And then on top of all that, I won the pace setter award, uh, the award night. So yeah, that, so that was very fun.
0: Congratulations. That's yeah, exciting. Not that surprising. You seem to win all the <laughs> awards, but I'm excited for you.
1: And how are you, Thomas? You you brought back some injuries from Switzerland. Are you, are you in recovery mode now? That's
0: right. So my MCL uh, seems to be fully uh, functional again, so I'm able to stand on my knee. I've actually been standing this whole episode. I try to stand uh, while we're recording. And uh, I've been able to do that without pain. My broken toe still uh, alerts from time to time, as the doctor would say. But you're not kicking any footballs right now. Right? I'm, I'm no, no soccer for me. <laughs> uh, but it's it's doing better, and I'm very thankful. My family prayed for me, and uh, I'm it just the amount of pain is so much lower now. I'm very. Very thankful. And each day it's getting better. So you never take, you never appreciate things like being able to bend your knee uh, quite like (laughs) you do until you can't without excruciatingly uh, high amounts of pain. And then you're super thankful that your knee bends. And I I have two knees that bend. So I am (laughs) doubly
1: thankful. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right. Well, you have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas, on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you so much for lending us your ears.